for those of you um, who have not been coming very long, um, the Lord led me um, to start a series on the book of Philippians. Um, So we're actually up to part five now. Um, So we're some way in and we're going to continue in that theme this morning. Um, By way of introduction, the Philippian church um, was, well, uh, let's let's go to the actual city. The city of Philippi uh, was basically a Roman colony. Um, it was liberated by Rome, and um, or conquered by Rome, however you want to see that. And it was made a Roman colony, and the citizens had the same privileges as Roman citizens. So it was a little Rome, and because it was a little Rome, Rome was persecuting the Christians, and um, there was a lot of opposition to the church. There was a lot of um, persecution and trials and tribulations that the Philippian church had to go through as a result as well. And so the, the, um, the book of Philippians is the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians. He'd already been there once before. And so... right um so basically um philippi is up there on the top left um and jerusalem is down there so it's quite a way away from um israel um on on that right hand side um but god led the apostle paul to actually go into macedonia which is that big area up there on the left and uh by a dream uh, a vision and um, so it was, it, was, it was of God that he went through there, and that's where the Philippian church started. The Philippian church was very dear to Paul's heart. Um, you can see that very evidently as you read through the book of Philippians, that he, 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 um, uh, uh, he addresses them in very intimate terms, that they're, they're friends, that, they, they, that um, he loves them very much. Um, he doesn't really do that to any of the other churches that he writes to. So the church in Philippi is, is a church that is very close to Paul's heart. So last lesson, um, next slide please. Uh, we ended on verses, uh, chapter 2 and verses 12 and 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, But now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We talked about how important it was to make sure of our salvation, to make sure that we're walking the way that God wants us to do, and that it's God that works in us. So the trials, the tribulations, the situations we go through are there to actually bring us closer to Him and to make us stronger in our salvation and in, in our uh, desire to following God, uh, to, to follow God. So let's start at verse 14. Next slide, please. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. So once again, we're going to be following very closely to Brother Brian Kinsey's uh, book, 
um, study on the Philippians called Philippians, the Bride's Prize. This verse has a nearly universal application. It applies to everybody because almost everyone has been guilty of these behaviors, of murmuring, of disputing. Both are difficult to resist, but with God's power at work in us, we can rid ourselves and the church of complaining and bickering. It takes our choice. It takes our own desire to get rid of these things. As usual, with Paul, this, um, this admonition is both highly spiritual and entirely practical. There are good reasons why we want these things to not be in the church. And there are, good, there are incredibly good spiritual reasons as well. Complaining is not productive for a number of reasons. One is that when we do complain, we often find ourselves being blamed for the problem. When we gossip and when we return insult for insult or mutter under our breath, we harm both the church and our own reputation. We're not putting forth Jesus. People can't see Jesus in us when we do these things. Also, complaining puts us in a negative frame of mind. It is the opposite of the mind of Christ, the way we should be thinking. We should be thinking the same way that Christ is thinking. Because we've been redeemed, we have come into the body of Christ. We should be directed of the head, which is Jesus. When we find fault with others or with our circumstances, we come to see the world in a negative light. You can't think negative things and not be affected negatively in your whole outlook. It is impossible to worship when we are annoyed with someone in the congregation or we dislike the music or we take issue with the preacher. Think about that. A spirit of murmuring makes it impossible to maintain fellowship with Jesus, with his spirit, a condition that will affect everything about our life and our witness to others. We can't fulfill the very basic things that God has called us to do, to be a witness, to live for Him if we are murmuring. The cause, the root cause of both murmurings and disputings is a selfish outlook. Some simply can't engage with others in any way relationally without commenting on the way in which everything affects them personally usually with an edge in their voice. This always leads to quarreling and disunity. We must take our eyes off ourselves and fix our gaze on Jesus. There's an awesome song which was written a long, long, long time ago but hasn't lost its power, which says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. If we have our eyes in the right place, the other things, the little things aren't going to bother us because we're looking on Jesus. As we look at Jesus, we will begin to experience the transformation and joy that come from having the mind of Christ. If you don't have joy, then maybe your, your attitude is wrong. In fact, that's the most probable reason. Next verse, 15. That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among 
whom you shine as lights in the world. If the world back there was crooked and perverse, so much more it is now. We, we should be shining even brighter because we are following Jesus. Because of the stand we make for following him. It's not going to be popular, but it's because we follow him that we will shine. To be blameless is to be free from accusation, producing a clear conscience. To be harmless is to avoid causing injury to others. On the opposite hand, a guilty conscience is a terrible burden. And doing injury to others brings regret and damage to our relationships. By refusing to gossip, bicker, or fight among ourselves, we both strengthen the church and enjoy a deep sense of peace with God and with others. Secondly, behaving in this way will be an outward sign that we are sons of God. This is nothing less than what Jesus taught in his Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. This peaceable behavior does not make us children of the Father, but it flows from being children of the Father. Our ability to get along with another, with one another is evidence that we have been transformed by Jesus. In, in normal situations, in normal groups in the world, you're going to find fighting and bickering. You're going to find everything as personalities clash, as people clash. But in the church, Jesus has risen us above those things. He has made us more like him. He is, has, has given us people in the church to help us grow. And, and he, he calls us to love each other in the church because that is going to be a witness to people that we are the children of God because the world can't do it, but Jesus is greater than the world. Our ability to get along with each other is evidence that we've been transformed by Jesus. As Jesus described it, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Because the world can't do it, only in the church will you find this amazing ability. Everybody would do well to ponder this question. What do my relationships with others indicate about my spiritual health? Do I have good relationships with everyone? Or are there people that I refuse to talk to? Are there people that I can't look at in the eye? Those who, are, who have the mind of Christ, who are thinking as God thinks, will live in peace with one another because he has called us to that. He has reborn us into his kingdom. One reason we need this local church is because we do not know that we are true Christians until we rub shoulders with other people. We do not know that we have a problem with anger until other people aggravate us. We do not know we have the capacity to be patient or tolerant until that capacity is tested by the slow burn of long-term relationships we are human we're all human and we're going to be human until we get to heaven which means 
that we're going to have faults. We're going to have things that annoy other people. And we're going to have things in other people that are going to annoy us. But Jesus, when we're close to Jesus, that's not going to matter. We're going to love them because they are following Jesus as well. And that's going to be a choice that we make. We choose how we react to other people. Other people are the lens God uses to reveal the true state of our souls. You find you're having a problem with someone else in the church, start to look inward first. And then you'll see what God is starting to deal with you about. That problem will continue until you sort yourself out. There's a a true fact for you. Third, a unified church will be an unmistakable witness in the world. Society around us is crooked and perverse, but Christians stand straight because they live according to the example of Jesus Christ. The world is dark, but we as Christians shine as bright lights in this world. Though we very rarely stop to consider it, we are the light of the world. As Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14 says, Jesus is saying, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Even the weakest saint among us is greater than John the Baptist. Think about how powerful John the Baptist's ministry was. And you come to realize that being in the church, God has given us power. God has given us the ability to rise above the flesh and the things that would normally bother us and hinder us. And would cause us grief and other people grief. Um, yes, the least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. As Jesus said in Luke, For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. John was a powerful prophet. Yet the potential for our witness in this dark world is even greater. When we think of the impact and the influence we can have on others simply by loving one another as Jesus loved us, that is a huge motivation to follow Jesus and to keep walking with him. Paul did not instruct the Philippians to retreat from the world, as some Christians prefer to do. He did not want the church to exist in spiritual isolation, cutting off all ties with with everybody else. He understood that only being, by being engaged with the world, by being in the world, can the church hope to let its light shine. If you're only shining in the church, then where, how's the light going to get outside? In the words of Jesus, as we just read, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. The Pharisees were so insulated from reality that they developed an artificial self-righteousness that was totally unlike the holiness of God. Jesus spent a lot of time trying to to let them know where they had gone wrong, but they were self-righteous. They believed that they had it all together. We cannot afford to be the same as the Pharisees. Theirs was a forced religion of fear and bondage on the people. If you look at Matthew chapter 23, you'll see, that Jesus talking about that and they crucified Christ because he dared to oppose that kind of religion 
It's not by leaving the world, but by ministering to it that we see God's purpose fulfilled in our lives. Just as Jesus entered into our sin-broken world, so we must go into this crooked and perverse nation in order to bring the light. That doesn't mean to do what they're doing, but it means to mix, to be with them, to let our light shine as we go about our daily lives. To do so, we must become blameless and harmless. What is the quality of our witness to the world? Are we always grumbling and complaining so that everybody knows about it? Are we always finding fault in everything that we come across? Is that a witness to the world that we are living for Jesus? No. Does our experience of transformation from the old way that we used to live to living for Jesus shine like a star in the heavens? Is it something bright? Is it something powerful that others would see and be drawn to Jesus through us? What would others conclude about the hope of salvation and living for Jesus if our lives and our churches or this church was their example? Are we showing the love of Jesus? Are we living for him the way we should? Are our attitudes the way that they should be? Are people being drawn to Jesus through our witness? Next verse. Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Notice the wording, holding forth the word of life. It's not saying clinging the word of life into you. We need to do that, but we need to hold forth the word of life. We need to let others, we need to let it be available for anyone who wants to reach out and grab for Jesus. The world has nothing to offer, but we as Christians hold out the word of life, the message of salvation through faith in Jesus. Each day as we go about our business, our character and our conduct provide a completely different example to what the world finds important, all the depravity. However, we're not called to be a passive witness only, but also to proclaim Jesus. Paul wrote to the Romans, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? We need to be good witnesses by the way we live our life. That is powerful in and of itself, but it's not enough. We need to let them know. We need to be led of the Lord to speak to people, to bring them to salvation. In the second part of the verse, Paul returned to a theme that he introduced previously in the book of Philippians, that his labor might not be in vain. Here, Paul repeated that hope, but this time he attached it to the conduct of the Philippians. Their unity, their good conduct, their faithful witness would provide evidence that the apostles' work had been successful. The sacrifice of his life would have been worth it all if at the end he could say that the Philippians had kept unity in Jesus and borne witness to the world. That's the thing that we should desire to see in anyone we reach for Jesus. Are they following him? Are they showing Jesus to the world? And are they being a good witness? Verse 17. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, 
I joy and rejoice with you all. A twofold joy comes to the person who lives in the mind of Christ, thinks the way that Jesus thinks. There's a joy that comes afterwards, as we just saw in the previous verse, and a joy here and now as well. God never meant for us to have grief and misery in our entire days of our life. I'm following Jesus. Yes, that's great. I have no joy, but I'm following Jesus. That's not the way that God designed it. That's not the way that we should be. We don't have to wait for the return of Christ to start experiencing the joy of being submitted to God's Word. Paul took joy in his sacrifice. Hang on, he took joy in his sacrifice? He took joy in, in, in the things that he had to give up, in, in the, the trials that he went through? Yes. He took joy in his sacrifice on behalf of the Philippians. We also may be called upon to sacrifice ourselves as well. That may be in service to, our, to Jesus or in the service to others. That sacrifice may include the surrender of time, energy, money, or even life itself, but it is for the best and it is for the highest cause. That is how Paul viewed his possible execution. He was in prison and he didn't know how it was going to turn out for him, but he could still have joy because the Philippians were walking in the way of God. It is remarkable that in two verses that discuss sacrifice, Paul used the words joy and rejoice repeatedly. He talks about sacrifice and talks about joy immediately in the same verse. Most people would associate sorrow with suffering. But Paul saw suffering and sacrifice as doorways to a deeper joy in Christ. Our, the way we think is, is sometimes way out of whack with the way it should be. Paul's death would be a willing sacrifice, a ministry on behalf of Christ and, and the church, and that would give Paul joy. Verse 18, For the same cause also, do ye joy, do ye joy as well, and rejoice with me. Paul was confident that the Philippians would rejoice for the same reasons as he would, and thereby share his joy as well. Paul was able to rejoice despite his circumstances because he was thinking the way that Jesus was thinking. He had the mind of Christ. He was willing, eager, in fact, to pour out his life for Christ and for others. You only have to look at when he, he goes through the list of everything that he suffered for Jesus over the years of his ministry, and he rejoiced in that. That was his qualifications. That meant that he was following Jesus in a great way. He was proud in a way of that because it meant that he was following Jesus and doing his will. It wasn't a cause for sorrow, but a reason to be glad. We lose a great deal of energy when we allow the enemy to steal our joy by planting thoughts of worry or self-pity in our minds. How is it possible to keep a good attitude when facing trials? The default attitude is to get down in the dumps and to, to lose all hope of life um, or 
or just be depressed. That is the normal standard response that a person would go through. What keeps the faithful grounded and contented regardless of their circumstances? It is the way that we think. It is having the mind of Christ. It is letting him speak to us and thinking the same way that he does. It's realizing that the trials and the circumstances are there to bring us closer to him and to make us more like him so that we can be greater use of him to be more powerful and effective witness in the future. It is not a cause for sorrow, but it is a cause for faith and trust in Jesus. When we make our decision to tie our lives to Jesus, following his downward movement from glory to humility, as we talked about in the previous lesson, willing to suffer any inconvenience, indignity or insult for his sake and for others, then we will actually have a positive outlook because we see the bigger purpose. We see the bigger outcome of what we are doing. When we have confidence in Jesus and the fact that he's been exalted, he didn't go through it forever and know that because we've been buried with him in humility, we all will also rise with him. We will have the experience, the ability to experience joy in any situation. Lord, help us. Sometimes it's just so little things that, that we just throw our, our hands up in the air and, and get into a deep depression when it's really nothing. Jesus, help us to have your mind. Help us to have the way that you think. Help us to think that way. This is the experience that Paul wished for the Philippian church. And it can be the experience of any one of us who has the mind of Christ. Verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. Timothy's future visit would provide a strong follow-up to the gentle but clear call to unity that Paul had just issued. He, all through the book, he'd been calling the Philippians, the book of Philippians, he'd been calling the Philippians to unity, to have the mind of Christ, to think like Christ, to work together, to, to, to not be in division, to not be murmuring, to not be disputing. There was a huge call to be unified together and they would stand together for Jesus. Paul wanted them to know that he would check up on them in the future. While he had the confidence that they would behave well in his absence, as we've just read in verse 12, he let them know that he would check in on them. We all need accountability. And being part of a local church helps to provide that. We have others around us who can see whether we are displaying the mind of Christ. And that can be a helpful thing. Because if we can't talk to the person about it, we can sure pray about it. <laughs> if we see people not having the mind of Christ. Accountability is most valuable when it is welcomed or even sought. If you are not willing to let others talk to you about the attitudes that you're displaying, then that's going to be a hindrance to actually following Jesus and having his mind. And if you actually seek it out, then that is the mind of Christ. That is, is wanting to become more like Jesus. Those who honestly care about our well-being and are eager to see that we thrive in our walk with the Lord are a great blessing. 
Some people treat any, any negative thing that gets said to them or what they perceive as negative in order to help or, or to, to, to help them make, uh, help stop them from making mistakes in the future. Um, some people get their nose out of joint at the, the slightest mention of anything they might be doing wrong. But when we have the mind of Christ, we can take that constructive criticism and, and work on it and, and pray about it. That is the attitude that we need to have. Trusted friends, a small group or Sunday school class or an accountability partner can provide this service in our lives, but we have to be willing. We're in this life together and we need one another in order to succeed. We need the church. We, we, can't, we can't do it on our own. There are people that have, have said, well, I don't need to go to church. I'm just going to have my relationship with Jesus. But... What's to stop them from going into false doctrine? What's to stop them from believing things? What's to stop them from listening to the voice of Satan when they don't have someone who can teach them how to listen to the voice of God? And so you find that they, 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 those sort of people, they just have all sorts of weird and wacky ideas and, and they think they're right where they are, but they need the church. They need the people of God. They need a preacher to speak into their heart because most people don't, don't seek to, to change themselves. They're pretty happy with, with where they are, thank you very much. But, but, and we don't like to change, but when we come face to face with the Word of God as it's preached from the pulpit, and the Spirit of God starts dealing with our hearts, that is when we will change and we will become more like Him. Verse 20, For I have no man like-minded apart from Timothy, who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. But you know the proof of him that, as a son with the Father, he has served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. He didn't know how, whether he was going to be executed. He didn't know whether he was going to be released. Beginning in verse 20, Paul described Timothy's character by discussing the four aspects of the mind of Christ that had developed in him. First, Timothy was a servant at heart, and it showed by the way he cared for people and was concerned about their needs. He was concerned about the Philippian church. He did not show this kind of care for personal gain. He wasn't trying to build his own influence or his own reputation, but it came from his heart. He was genuinely concerned about the church. A second characteristic of the mind of Christ that Timothy displayed is that he had the heart of a servant. Rather than looking out for his own interests, he put the interests of Jesus first. Paul's lament that all seek their own things and not the things of Christ is not just cynicism. It's a simple statement of fact. Isaiah put it this way, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. In Isaiah 53 and verse 6. And thirdly, Timothy was trained as a servant by Paul himself. Paul personally taught and trained Timothy in the Word, and he was allowed to experience the ministry of Paul, to watch him work, and hopefully catch the same spirit and mind. And you can read about what he was trying to instill in, in Timothy in 2 Timothy verses 3, sorry, chapter 3 in verses 10 to 17, which we won't go into this morning. Jesus used the same method to train his disciples, and it still works today. 
Fourth, Timothy received the reward of a servant. Timothy understood what every minister needs to know, that the kingdom demands sacrifice, and we must put the time in to serve the people God has called us to instruct. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 17, which we just looked at. Timothy had been faithful over a few things and now will be trusted with a larger purpose and mission. Paul wanted to go to Philippi himself, but had to send someone else in his place, and he chose Timothy. That was a great honor for him. And it showed just where he was at, that Paul could trust him to go in his own place. I don't think Paul trusted too many people to go in his place, but he did Timothy because he knew that he was grounded. He was following Jesus. He cared for the church, just like Paul did. Verse 24, But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Patience is a vital quality for anyone in ministry because much of what we hope to do depends on the Lord's will and timing. Learning to trust God and wait patiently is essential. When we rush ahead with plans or even the announcement of plans without confirmation from the Lord that they will be accomplished, we both frustrate ourselves and other people. Paul knew well enough to submit everything to his trust in the Lord. He wanted to go to the Philippians, and shortly, but he put his trust in the Lord. Verse 25, Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and companion in labor, and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all, and was full of heaviness because that you had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service towards me. The next example in this living the mind of Christ and was Epaphroditus. He went through Timothy and he talked about Timothy and, and how he was showing what God wanted him to show. And now it was Epaphroditus's turn. His name means charming, and Epaphroditus is indeed a charming example of Christ-likeness. One reason for his mention in this epistle is that he appears to have been the person who took it to the Philippians. While Paul hoped to send Timothy presently, as he said in verse 23, he sent Epaphroditus immediately and apparently in possession of this letter to the church. Paul thought it necessary to send Epaphroditus for reasons that he would reveal in the following verses to spare both him and the Philippian sorrow, as we've just read. Paul described Epaphroditus in three ways. He was a balanced individual. He carried the weight and burden of concern both with Paul and the saints at Philippi, and he was blessed beyond measure. First, Paul described Epaphroditus as a balanced Christian. Notice the list of qualities that Paul used to describe Epaphroditus. He was a brother, a companion in labor, a fellow soldier, 
a messenger, and he that ministered to Paul's needs. Notice the progressive nature of the first three terms. Paphroditus was a brother showing a close relationship. He was a companion in labor, meaning that he worked alongside Paul in the ministry. And he was a fellow soldier, indicating that he shared the hardships and dangers that Paul endured. Second, Epaphroditus was burdened by his sincere concern for others. He longed after his brothers and sisters in Philippi and was full of heaviness. The phrase full of heaviness is the same description used of Christ in Gethsemane in Matthew 26 and 37, where Jesus began to be sorrowful and very heavy. So it was a great and and earnest heaviness that he felt. Epaphroditus was also concerned about Paul, enough so that he volunteered to make the long, dangerous trip to Rome in order to assist Paul in his bonds. He also carried the church's love gift. And third, because of his burden for others, Epaphroditus became a blessing. His willingness to put others first is something of great note, but also costly because he became sick, either en route to Rome or while he was there. We do not know the nature of Epaphroditus' illness, only that it was very, very serious. He nearly died in his service to Jesus. But God had mercy on Epaphroditus and spared his life. Paul saw this as a blessing upon himself as well, for he would have had sorrow upon sorrow at the loss of his dear friend. When we look at the, the book of Philippians, in these examples that have been made, we have the example of the Apostle Paul. And it talks about how God works in him and how God moves through him. And, and his, the work and his, his care for the Philippians is very obvious, showing the mind of Christ in him. Timothy, the next example, was a half-Jew and half-Gentile. And he showed the mind of Christ. Epaphroditus was almost certainly a Gentile completely. And he also showed the mind of Christ. It shows that it doesn't matter what your background is, what your heritage is, what race you come from, whether whether you're accepted by the, the people in the world or not, you can be transformed into an amazing servant of Jesus when you're willing to be Um, to bow under the mind of Christ, to be more like Jesus. If you would please stand. If I could get someone to the piano, please. I know that this has been teaching this morning. And I know that teaching doesn't normally give an altar call. But I feel in the Holy Ghost that we need to have an offer for people to respond to the word that they've just heard. Lord Jesus, Lord, your word has gone forth this morning. Lord, and I can feel you drawing in this place. Lord, drawing people, drawing people closer. And Lord, I pray, Jesus, that Lord... As you draw, Lord, that they would respond. That, Lord Jesus, Lord, that they would, Lord, remember the things that you have been 
dealing with them about and that they would allow you to make it right in their lives right now, Lord Jesus. I pray as you draw that we would respond, Lord, that, Lord, we would come to the front of the church, that we would open our hearts to you, Jesus, because you do not want us to be the same that we have, way that we have been. You do not want us to have bitterness or complaining or whinging or, or disputes, Lord Jesus. You want us to be more like you. You want us to be great servants. You want us to show our lights, Lord, as we witness, Lord, to others. Lord, help us to have the right attitudes, Lord Jesus, and draw us closer to you so that we can have the right attitudes. Lord, it's not possible without you. Help us, Lord, to be able to have joy even when we're going through the worst of circumstances. Lord, help our attitudes to be right with Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that as you draw at this time, Lord, that Jesus, we would respond. That we would allow you to deal with our hearts and not resist as we have done in times past with Jesus. But that we would allow you to do what you want in our lives. You have been calling us, Lord, over these months, Lord, to be more like you. You've called us to get rid of the attitudes and the, the, the stuff that we haven't been willing. Lord Jesus, I pray may we allow you to do what you want to do in our lives right now. So I invite you to come, respond to the word this morning, and allow him to do what he wants in your life right now. Won't you come? Won't you talk to the Lord?